Welcome to another episode of Cross-Section, the official podcast of the Section on Neonatal Perinatal Medicine of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The neonatal section represents more than 3,500 neonatologists and clinicians who are committed to caring for the nation's smallest and most vulnerable patients. In Cross-Section, we hear firsthand from some of those individuals about their work. Today on Cross-Section, we're joined by Sarah Munoz-Blanco, who's a fellow in neonatology at Johns Hopkins University. Her um, home originally is the U.S. territory of Puerto Rico, whose 3.5 million inhabitants have been facing a humanitarian crisis since being in the path of Hurricane Maria earlier in the fall. Sarah, um, welcome and thanks for being on the podcast with us. Thank you for inviting me to be here. Can we start with... Just uh, you telling us a bit about yourself, your background before coming to Hopkins and what your main focus has been academically since since um, coming there for fellowship? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm actually a native born in Puerto Rico. I did, uh, I grew up there. I did my medical school at the University of Puerto Rico, School of Medicine, and then uh, moved to New York City in 2012 for my pediatrics residency at uh, Wild Cornell in Manhattan. Um, and then after that, I came to Baltimore for my, my fellowship in NICU. Um, so my fellowship, ha- I actually do research with Latino parents with limited English proficiency. And right now, I've actually just finished my project um, developing a communication tool for the discharge process for um, NICU babies whose parents are Latino and don't speak English. And I will be piloting that before I graduate. Um, and I'm also uh, about to match in one week exactly <laughs> for another fellowship because um, I'm doing a pediatric palliative care fellowship as well. Are, are you are you thinking that in the palliative care fellowship you'll be doing um, something similar in terms of uh, 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 making it more cu- culturally optimal? Um, is that your yep. thought? Yeah, my, my sort of like career, uh, I think, goal research is going to be doing research on pediatric palliative care in the Latino population specifically, because there's actually not a lot um, out there on how to best provide palliative care for this population. So uh, coming back to the uh, current issue, um, you, you still have family then on the island? Yes. Um, how, how have they been affected by, by this? Um, well, so far, so I have a, a few siblings that are still on the island. Um, just to give you sort of an idea, um, during the hurricane itself, um, thankfully, my family didn't suffer major structural damages to their homes. Uh, and by that, I mean their homes didn't flew out with the hurricane or didn't crumble upon them, thankfully. Um, but, for example, my brother, during the hurricane, the balcony doors exploded. They had to evacuate the apartment. Um my aunt lives, and they live in the city. My aunt and other family members live in the sort of the, the center of the island, um, sort of the rural mountains um, area of the island, and they suffered some structural damages to their homes as well. And it was way over two weeks before I even was able to communicate with them, and they had to travel outside of the of their own town to get cell phone reception. So. Um, so far, my the, my family that's in the mountains is still without power um, over two months, um, and I don't think they're expecting any power up until like February or March. 
um, and water. They just got back water, but I was there this past weekend. We can talk about that later. Um, and most of the time we didn't have water. So, so yeah, there, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. That, it must've been difficult to be that far away. Um, I, I did, I, I did hear a, a recent assessment from the U S army Corps of engineers that, um, one in 10 residents lacks potable water and that, um, cell phone coverage is still at only 60 to 75 percent that's that's incredible i mean the the hurricane was a devastating event acutely but these lasting effects seem to have caused at least as much um damage and and suffering can can you tell us more about about that yeah uh and you're absolutely right i mean the acute phase um uh, sort of like when the hurricane made landfall and it was um there for about 16 hours um uh, you know, some of my family members recorded over 200 miles an hour winds. Um, and people describe the experience as the most terrifying thing they've ever experienced. Um, and, and that was sort of the acute phase, right? And then after that, it was the whole crisis, emergency crisis, where the whole island was without power, no water for most people, no communications. You couldn't get through you know, not hearing from family members for sometimes a month, even out um, after the hurricane. Um, but I guess you were saying the sort of lasting effects that it has had have been tremendous. And I think maybe even unprecedented, um, at least for the U.S., I think. Um, and it encompasses everything from, again, still a lot of people without water, um, or electricity, or cell phone reception, um, but also medically, uh, there are a lot of uh, there are still a lot of lasting effects. For example, um, we know that a lot of people unfortunately died because they couldn't get to their dialysis. Um, a lot of people died at home because their oxygen tanks um, went out. Um, people even at hospitals um, died because they're you know, the generators wouldn't, you know, would just go out or wouldn't have enough um, fuel. Um, and those things have fortunately dwindled a bit, but I, I would argue that those are still very real um, problems. So there are a lot of people still in a lot of areas that are kind of like out of reach because roads um, collapsed and, you know, I don't know how much you know about the geography of Puerto Rico, but it's actually, you know, it's a small island, but it's quite complicated, um, the topography. And uh, we have a lot of mountains um, that go across the entire island um, from east to west. Um, so, you know, getting, my point being getting to people, um, it's, it's, it's hard, it's hard. Um, and you have uh, bridges that collapsed and roads that collapsed and et cetera. So it's very challenging. So um, have you heard any um, sort of specific issues that are, um, uh, you know, particular to maternal and child health um, or are they wrapped up in, in uh, the, the generic issues that you've well, described? Well, um, yes. So, for example, um, I know, unfortunately, uh, you know, when there was a lot of power issues at the hospitals, um, so a lot of patients, um, uh, they had to evacuate part of the um, NICU at our um, 
level three, four um, NICU on the island, for example. So that's that was that was unfortunate. Um, I know there were some patients that have been transferred to the U.S. for further care. For example, those patients with congenital heart disease. Um, a lot of patients were were transferred um, for care. Um, and in terms of sort of more, you know, pregnant women, for example, I think there was also, there have been also people who need specialty care who are pregnant. And so either who moved to the mainland, right, that we have a lot, had a lot of people leave. I think the estimate is about 100,000 people um, already. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of people, like every day people are leaving. And so anyway, so going back to the pregnant women, so, you know, having people reestablish and relocate and then not having an obstetrician, right? And, and how do you follow up those patients? Um, so it's, it's very complicated. So, yeah, absolutely. So are you, you're seeing that amongst the people who are leaving that, is that all, is that compounding the infrastructure problem in the sense that there are um, key personnel in in the medical field for example who who are not able to stay for for various reasons yeah well actually that was that has been a chronic problem in the island so a lot of um medical professionals you know such as myself for example um we have left the island and haven't returned uh, yet to to work in Puerto Rico will never return sometimes. And this crisis with the hurricane is only just making that worse because there are more people um, leaving. Um, either that or because of the lack of power and, uh, and water, a lot of um, doctors are unable to open their offices and um, take care of patients, right? Um, and more the acute phase, it was people couldn't get to work because either you lived far away and the roads were um, impossible to transit or the fuel crisis that lasted a few weeks in the beginning uh, was preventing people to get to work. So I know that uh, you, you mentioned that some of these infrastructure problems, uh, both inside and outside the medical field, have been uh, improving to some extent. There's a five billion dollar spending uh, package that was that was approved um, federally, and um, I know a number of charities have been involved. It, what are your thoughts about the pace of that recovery? Are they similar to what we're seeing in the in the news that things are 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 changing but very slowly, or are you a little more optimistic about things? No, I unfortunately I'm I'm not very optimistic. I do think that. Um, it is extremely, extremely slow. Um, I think one of the big error issues also is that the help was slow to get there in the first place. Um, so there was a lot of catching up to do. And then the magnitude, of course, of the devastation is such that um, it is it's still very slow. I mean, I was just there last week and it is a very different life um, in Puerto Rico right now. Um, and everything takes twice as long. Um, everything. <laughs> Your day barely, uh, yes. Uh, I mean, I stayed up in the mountains uh, with my family um, with no power. And most days we didn't have any water. And when I would go down to the San Juan, 
like area like the city I mean the trip should take me like 40 minutes and most days it would take an hour and 40 minutes because once you get to San Juan especially so there's no power so the you know every traffic light is off so you know even you spend so much time on traffic jams and and stuff like that so if, if you uh had you know an unlimited amount of um, uh, will and personnel and funding what what do you think the priorities would be within the medical sphere what are the, the remaining big big picture obstacles or big big obstacles to, to providing care to, the, to your population well I mean I think one of the biggest ones is that um, there are still a lot of uh, primary and secondary centers that have either no power or they still have issues with um, stock, you know, stocking their products, um, medicines, et cetera, and equipment. And so what that causes is an overflow to the tertiary care center where I trained for medical school, um, the medical center of Puerto Rico, which is in San Juan. Um, and clearly, you know, a tertiary care center doesn't have the capacity to be taking care of every other, you know, smaller um, medical problem that should be taken care of um, elsewhere. So I think that's one of the biggest, biggest barriers right now. That and the fact that the primary care physicians and other um, physicians that have outpatient offices, right, may not be able to be functioning still because of lack of power um, and or potable water in the offices. Frustrating situation. Yeah. So, you um, you've witnessed some of these things through your family, friends, and also firsthand. I know. Um, and but you're you're not only um, able to describe them, you're also trying to do something about them. You're the co-lead for the Maryland chapter of a grassroots organization um, called Puerto Rico Rising. Can you can you tell us a bit about how that organization was founded and how you got involved? Yeah, of course. Um, I guess it was probably about less than a week, probably after the hurricane. The hurricane was at September 20th. Um, I remember my birthday was the next day and then I had an interview and, you know, all these things happened in the next few days um, and you still didn't have communication with your family. So um, uh, for me personally, uh, was more of becoming frustrated and angry and um, kind of like instead of being at home sitting and just waiting for something then I we sort of decided to do something about it and try to help so honestly out of the blue I it's the only way I can describe this um, over 3,000 um, doctors from Puerto Rico and uh, Puerto Rican doctors in the mainland U.S. Um, found each other on social media. And th that is really just how, how it happened. Um, so um, people were trying, you know, we called it the diaspora. Um, it's the sort of the people right over here. Um, so trying to help out and then trying to communicate with people on the island and say, what do you need? So every day we would get tons of text messages and um, pictures of handwritten lists 
of medical supplies needed in various hospitals of the island. People would oftentimes travel a couple of hours to get cell phone reception to even send that um, via WhatsApp text message, for example. Um, so sort of that's how the grassroots um, movement started. And there were a couple of different uh, places. So uh, a Facebook group, for example, called Doctoras Boricuas, um, it started with female doctors, uh, Puerto Rican doctors, um, and then it opened up to, you know, males and females. Um, Puerto Rico Rising was initially Puerto Rico Rices. And so that sort of started also a grassroots movement, not necessarily medical, um, but more community in different cities around the U.S. where people just started to uh, collect donations and uh, make donations drives and then started trying to get those donations to Puerto Rico. So that's sort of how Puerto Rico Rices and then Port, uh, became Puerto Rico Rising, which the idea with Puerto Rico Rising is that it's going to be sort of the long-term reconstruction uh, phase um, grassroots uh, organization, one of the, uh, I should say, because there are many. Um, and the way I or uh, my group uh, found this organization was because I have a colleague in Connecticut at Yale who studied medicine with me, who got involved in Puerto Rico Rice's Connecticut. Um, and their group and, and our group are, I would say the, the main ones that are uh, dealing with sort of like public health and actual medical issues whereas other chapters are dealing more with sort of like donations um, of basic goods and basic uh, needs. Can, can you describe those public health and, and medical uh, specific yeah. Uh, initiatives? Yeah, so um, especially Puerto Rico Rising, um, Connecticut uh, has done a lot of the medical relief and it uh, was literally getting um, lists from hospitals um, what do you need? What are your needs? And then reaching out to our different hospitals um, across the country and asking them for donations. Um, and then uh, the unforeseen, uh, I want to say one of the biggest obstacles was the transportation logistics, um, which of course we're all in the medical field. We know any, we don't know anything about transportation <laughs> logistics and how to get things where. Um, but we had to figure it out um, by asking people with private planes or people with private planes who were, um, you know, with charters who were saying, I want to help. Um, and people flying donations there through the private route. And one of the reasons we had to do that uh, was because, as you may have heard, a lot of donations were getting stuck um, at the ports in Puerto Rico. Um, there was a lot of red tape. Um, so we had to go around all of that, um, which just makes it harder and more work, but um, totally worth it, of course, so that we could actually make sure that the help was getting to the people's hands and not just like getting to the island and then getting stuck there. So it started with a list from Puerto Rico, then you would go to different hospitals to get those donations, then you have to figure out the transportation logistics get them there and then have someone there, usually from the hospitals that will receive the cargo and then transport them themselves 
um, to the hospital. So for example, for the Children's Hospital um, in the Puerto Rico Medical Center, um, interns, residents, attendings would take their own cars to the airport and just load up the boxes um, from the pallets and then take them to the hospital. In, in overcoming the red tape and so on, did you partner with other organizations to do that or did you just have to figure that out yourself? Pretty much we figured it out ourselves. Um, uh, by means of these, we, we call it the uh, a network of networks is what we're calling it. Um, we literally, when there are thousands of people trying to help, someone knows someone who knows someone who knows someone. And literally that's how um, we did it. And people are still doing it this way. Um, it's, it's, it's not so much as, I mean, we, I know that other organizations, other chapters try to partner up with um, uh, some major transportation com private companies, but it takes so long and we didn't have time for that, um, that we just had to figure out other ways of getting stuff there. And that's sort of like the medical relief. And, and like I said, unfortunately, that's still somewhat ongoing because there's still a lot of needs that are not being met. Um, but one of the things that also happened was that we started partnering up with a lot of people on the ground, um, other doctors in Puerto Rico, yeah, that, that um, wanted to help and just like took their own cars and drove to, you know, out of reach communities. Um, and there are still people doing that every day, going out into the communities in the island and providing care. And so once you partner with the with them, then you can, you know, distribute medications and stuff to them um, to take to to the island. But it's still very raw, you know, it's not a very um, and there are a lot of different people doing it. Um, there's not just one organization. So you know, there's still the logistics of it is kind of um, challenging, but but the help is getting there. It, it's amazing how um, the frontline people at a community can move in to, to fill this gap when the big organizations are not able to do it. I mean, that that's really impressive that you were able to, oh. I, I assumed that Puerto Rico Rising existed before this, this uh, uh, crisis but in the idea that you could take it nope. from nothing to a, an organization with thousands of people helping is really impressive yeah no it just it's routed after the the hurricane <laughs> so what kind of a volume are you talking about or you know how often are you making deliveries um, and how much of your time are you spending do this doing this it sounds like an enormous effort yeah so we're all volunteers obviously um who spend uh, depending, you know, a few hours a week to more hours a week. Um, um, I feel like uh, it's probably over 100,000 pounds already, um, and not from the R chapter, but in general, right? So the whole Reliefs Network, um, uh, Doctoras Boricuas and the different Puerto Rico Rising chapters, um, et cetera. Um, and that's just a medical relief. That's uh, not counting sort of like basic needs. Um, but I did want to talk about um, going back to what you were saying, how people in the community can get to places where the big organizations can't. Um, so that's sort of what's happening in Puerto Rico. Um, and our chapter um, 
while we are still obviously committed to providing medical relief as, as, as we can, you know, partnering with other people and trying to figure out the transportation logistics of medications and, and medical donations, um, our chapter, the Puerto Rico Rising Maryland chapter, has actually um, a public health project uh, of sorts, if you will, that we want to do in, in Puerto Rico. So we've adopted a community that's in the um, town of Barranquitas, which is one of the mountain towns. And we've partnered up with these uh, community leaders who have basically taken upon themselves, like this family is a huge family. They call themselves El Familion, which is basically a big family. Um, there's like over 50 cousins of them. And they, after the hurricane, they couldn't, you know, get out um, with their cars because the mountains had collapsed. Um, but they like on foot went door to door um, along their community and saying like, you know, who's here, what do you need, etc. cetera. Um, so we found them through social media. Um, there's a lot of social media here <laughs> that has actually facilitated this, this whole thing. So we found them through social media, we've partnered with them. We, Puerto Rico Rising Maryland has adopted the community um, and we have sort of like short-term, mid-term and long-term goals for them. So our, our short-term goals right now are to um, provide education for public health um, prevention. So uh, in January, we're going to fly there, or some of our members are going to fly there to the community and do an educational talk about mosquito disease prevention, um, water, you know, clean water, safe, um, how to handle uh, water, because a lot of these communities are just getting waters off this either streams or just like plastic tubes that are like inserted to the mountain and then you get sort of like a flow of water through there. We can't really drink that, um, of course. Um, so, and then the other part of the talk is going to be um, mental health. Um, mental health talk because there are a lot of mental health issues right now of course after a crisis and a catastrophe this big there's a lot of ptsd there have been unfortunately a lot of suicides um in puerto rico um after the hurricane um so we've partnered with this um uh organization called crear con salud which is uh uh, led by Puerto Rican psychiatrists who live in who live here in the U.S. Um, in the D.C. Maryland area, and so we partnered with them, and so we're going to get to Puerto Rico um, to this community the first week of January, and we're going to have some um, educational talks for the community, both in public health and mental health. So those are like short-term goals. Um, the other short-term goals is that we have an Amazon wish list. And on that Amazon wish list, we have things like gas stoves, solar um, lanterns, uh, mosquito nets, mosquito repellents, all the things that are sort of more like public health. There's no food or bottled water in there anymore. We used to have that before when we did some donations drives, um, but sort of because our um, focus is now more public health. That's what we're doing. Um, and because this community is likely not going to have electricity for the 
you know, for probably like six months total, we have solar powered stuff as well. Um, and sort of that's a, like the short term goal for for the chapter and this community. And then we have other midterm and long term goals as well. Yeah, I'm just touching on those short term goals. Yep. Is this Amazon wish list open for um, for donations as well, or is it um, internal to your organization? No, it's a it's a, we made it a public Amazon wish list um, that we you know can share the link and then anyone can go in there and uh, whatever you purchase through the Amazon wish list um, gets directly shipped to our um our like our center which is one of our houses <laughs> where we collect our things and then we um get them to puerto rico so like i just went last week and i took 100 pounds of donations that i had um at home um in my suitcases and, and you know hand delivered them to the community um and and what are the what are your um, medium and long-term goals are, are they coming into focus yeah. as well Yep, they are. Um, so one of our, I would say this is a short and medium term goal that we're doing. Um, so one of our members is an electrical engineer, Hadi Asieli. Um, he is literally inventing or has invented already a device to establish communications in out of reach areas um, using satellite communication. Um, and this device is powered by a cell phone charger and or solar power because if you don't have electricity, then um, you can uh, also do charge it with solar power. Um, and you can basically send texts via your cell phone or a laptop or computer to anywhere in the world. Um, and we have the prototype, uh, we tested it last week while we were in Puerto Rico and it works beautifully actually. Um, so we're gonna be um, opening up a either GoFundMe page um, to raise money um, to uh, build probably like, you know, probably like 20 of these um, so that we can deploy them um, in the island, um, in different parts of the island. Um, and this device serves a community. So it's not like my household needs one and then the next household need, needs one. Um, our, our objective is to just deploy it and so that a community can use it um, and and then communicate with their with their loved ones at least via text message it's, it's like a 21st uh, century equivalent of a telegraph isn't uh, it? exactly <laughs> pretty much <laughs> yeah and it's going to be open source um, so you know we don't want it to be costly um, to people and you could use this not only for this, catastrophe but anywhere like if you go anywhere to the middle of nowhere in the world and you're not going to have sulfur inception you can have one of these and then you can text with anyone because there are satellites you know orbiting around the earth all the time so are you are you finding as you as you think about your medium and long-term goals um that that you're able to retain a high level of engagement of the people who are originally interested certainly you know in the media we see this drop off after a crisis yeah. and something else in the news cycle nudges it out of the way are, are you still do you still have a, a, a buffer of, of volunteerism that you're drawing able to draw on well um that's a great point and this is no exception so obviously you know as the hype of the whole 
thing dwindles down because it's been over two months. Um, it certainly, certainly happens. In our chapter, we are lucky enough that um, uh, pretty much all of us are Puerto Rican and have family in Puerto Rico. And so we're very much committed to, to the project. Um, and honestly, we are finding at least here at Hopkins, people that are still interested, you know, and looking for ways to help us out. So, but, but you're right, we have to be constantly sort of like re-engaging people and using social media to create awareness that, hey, this is not over, it's actually just beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think, you know, in, in talking to people, I, I don't think it's so much that people are really losing interest is that they think that the problem might yeah. be solved. And so I, I think that what yeah. you're doing in, in, you know, continuing to, to put this on the table and create awareness is, is extremely important, probably as important as the logistics of getting. Yes, exactly. There. Exactly. Cause um, of course, when, if the media is not paying as much attention, quote unquote, um, to the issue, then of course you think that it's, everything's fine. And that, things are being resolved mm. when in fact um, there there aren't um, and I guess one of our um, just to add, go back to your like, two questions that go in terms of like more midterm and long-term goals um, one of the things that we're trying to to do is to um, one of the midterm goals is going to be reconstruction so a lot of um, there's about probably like 20 families um, in this community that lost their home completely. Um, so we, we have to sort of like work on at least the most severe cases um, and, and try, to, try to see how we are gonna be able to, to work. And so, so trying to see that we don't have the, the whole sort of like plan for that yet, but obviously we'll need to partner with people who can donate construction materials and volunteers who we do have people that have said that they want to go for the spring break um, uh, vacation, for example, to try and rebuild some houses. So that's kind of that's on the coming. And then I think long term, you know, one of the things why we wanted to do sort of this community project was because once you have a catastrophe like this, really one of the big key goals should be to make something better than what was there before, right? Because this could happen again next year, right? The hurricane season, just so you know, begins June, June 1st. So that's only six months from now, right? Um, and so if we only patch up the problem to try to get back to quote unquote normalcy as, as quickly as possible, then we're not really targeting the root of the the problem and what we wanted to do is try to rebuild this community or help rebuild the community um, in any way we can and so that it could serve as a model to other communities in Puerto Rico because um, we're, we're too small we can't fix the whole island unfortunately so we had to we had to start somewhere um, and so we're trying to do this with this community so trying to um, long term, we'll be trying to think about um, more sustainable energy sources, um, whether or not we should be thinking about solar power, um, because this is in the mountains and we know that the electricity, you know, can be, um, it's very fragile, the infrastructure. Um, 
and, and sort of those kinds of projects are like long term and how to make this community more self sustainable. Um, and not dependent on, on, on us, for example, of course. Well, that's, that's a really interesting kind of public health model of, of dealing with current needs, but also considering um, capacity and, and essentially, you know, um, secondary prevention. So very impressive. So along those lines, um, if, if if people want to um, continue to be aware of, of what's going on and what you're doing, and more importantly, at, at this time of year, many people are looking for uh, ways to reach out and, and help. Um, how can how can our how can folks in the neonatology community um, and their families um, stay engaged with your work and, and maybe help you out? Yeah, I think that. Probably the best way is to go to our Facebook page, Puerto Rico Rising Maryland, um, and there are posts there. There, some of them are in Spanish, some of them are in English. Um, but certainly, if people want to reach out, um, they can send us a message through the Facebook page. It's very easy. You go to the Facebook page, click on the little message icon, and then you can send us a message. And um, either myself or the other admins of the page will see it. And that could be anything from, hey, can you post the Amazon wish list again, which is posted, um, but we can send you the link directly um, or the GoFundMe page if you're interested in our uh, satellite communications um, device or, or whatever it is, um, we're happy to receive any help. Well, that's, that's great. This is really uh, inspirational and and although I know that the, the uh, obstacles must be daunting, it, it's actually, it, it makes uh, me optimistic to know that there are people who are willing to, to take them on the way you are um, and, and, and really create brand new structures to do so. That's very impressive. So congratulations and uh, good luck with the next step. And, and do let us know if there's anything that the section can do to, to help if there are things that come up that, are, you know, specifically deal with um, uh, maternal and child health as well as I'm sure there are um, we're happy to be involved awesome thank you so much and I just wanted to say also that um, even though I'm the one in the interview this it takes a village and I think one of the fortunate things in um, our team is that we have a multidisciplinary team so you know I'm a doctor but we have public health specialists um, PhD candidates we have other doctors we have engineers um, lawyers who are, you know, everyone has their own set of skills um, and can think about the problem in a different way. And I think just wanted to put that out there. If anyone is interested in advocacy, I think one of the biggest um, assets is to have a multidisciplinary approach and people that can take a look at the problem from different perspectives, because it definitely helps. Like I have no idea how, you know, my boyfriend designed the the communication satellites thing but i can help with other stuff <laughs> like getting the word out there <laughs> um so thank you so much for the opportunity oh, to be here it's, it's our pleasure thank thank you really